0: Especially for our guests, I just kind of want to point you to our gold inserts. If you weren't aware of it, there are sermon notes on one side that you can write in notes, fill in blanks, and then please do take home the sermon study um, that you find on the back. Uh, Some extra questions for your uh, weekly devotional life. Dear friends, um, when you think of fishing, I know we have fishermen here today. When you think of fishing, what is the scene, the vision in your mind that first comes to mind. I think for most of us, it's probably a scene very similar to the background of this picture. When you think of fishing, the thing you want to think about is a beautiful, sunny, clear day. You might be envisioning that sound of the string or the cord being let out of the reel. You can hear it. I'm not going to try to to sound it, but you can hear it. (laughs) And then the plop. As the bobber hits that glassy lake. And then fishing in the summer in Minnesota, you kind of sit back and you watch. And you got a bag of chips in one hand and your favorite beverage in the other. And you talk with your buddies or your family or whoever's with you. And you just wait and watch. And you watch and for those circular ripples that go around the bobber to let you know that there's a bite. And the thing is about fishing is that it is... For some of us, one of the greatest things that we enjoy doing in the summer, that fishing a day like I just described can almost be therapeutic for us. But but then there was this little fishing show that they started on the Discovery Channel. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. I just stumbled upon it myself. It's called the Deadliest Catch. (laughs) This is not fishing on Lake Marion. The Deadliest Catch is called that not because the fish they're going after are deadly, but because the environment is deadly. It's a documentary, a reality TV show, about fishermen on the Bering Sea. That's the area between Alaska and Russia, um, that water body, wa- body of water, and their pursuit or fishing of uh, Alaskan king crabs. And what this environment is, is just horribly dangerous for fishing, Um, 30 to 50 foot waves. That in itself would mark me off the list of being a uh, crab fisherman. But along with that, people, these fishermen endure um, concussions, puncture wounds, amputations, chipped teeth, broken bones, broken ribs, and even death. Um, Fishing for king crabs in the Bering Sea, I read, has a 100% injury rate. And the mortality rate, being a fisherman during the fishing season, is one death every week, is what it averages out to. I watched it one or two times, and my thought was this. Why would anyone do that? And the answer is probably money, right? And that's why you do dangerous, that's why people do dangerous things. But even there, there's got to be other ways to earn money. I would not do this. Now, I want you to kind of keep that, those two scenes in the background of your mind, and I want to catch you up to where we are in this uh, sermon series for a moment. We're talking about fishing, as Ezra mentioned, catching men, fishing for people through the gospel. And in the first week, I kind of um, told you the way it was, as Jesus told us, is that if you're a Christian, you should be about fishing. I said, bakers bake, accountants account, teachers teach, pastors preach, followers of Jesus. Fish. No debating it. I'm not outgoing. Well, that's all right. Use the gifts you have. But we are to be about fishing. And I gave you an assignment, and hopefully some of you did it. Uh, uh, Otherwise, this is a reminder. To write a short card or letter or email to the person who fished for you, the person who shared Jesus with you, I wanted you to remember that someone loved you enough to fish for you, and maybe we should be doing the same. And then last week, Pastor Steve um, did a great job of sharing God's word in answering the question of why do we fish? The reality is is that the message of forgiveness by grace or forgiveness through Jesus, it's not intuitive. What I mean by that is it's not something you will stumble upon on your own. It's up to people who know the message to share the message because the message of grace is something that needs to be shared. So we get back to this question. Why do we so often have a hard time doing it? I suppose there's more than one answer to that question. And in fact, for some of us, we don't have a hard time. I know some of you to be people who are constantly talking about your faith. But why at times do some of us have a hard time with this? There's a lot of answers to that question. I think one of them is um, maybe for some of us, we didn't know. I didn't know that. I thought it was a pastor's job, the church's job. I wasn't quite sure about that. Now I know. Um, some of us, we, we schedule our lives so full that there's like no opportunity <laughs> to fish. Now that's not an excuse, that means things need to be changed. But I think as I listen to people, talk to people, as I look at my own heart, the biggest reason we don't do it, can you guess, starts with F, rhymes with ear. It's fear is the biggest reason, and What is your fear? I don't know, but here are some. Um, Fear of not knowing the right things to say. Fear of not having answers to the questions. Fear of it possibly damaging a relationship because spiritual life is so close to the vest, close to the heart. Fear of being labeled as being a little weird or, or over the top or fanatical or mixing work and... And, and spiritual things, and so we're not looking at all for opportunities. The reality is, is that fishing for people is a lot less like fishing for walleyes on Lake Marion, and for most of us, it feels more like fishing for king crabs in the Bering Sea. It's easy to say, yes, these are the things that we need to do, right? But then what happens is that we often find ourselves paralyzed by fear. That we stand on the shore instead of getting in the boat. Well, if that's the case for you, I pray that it's not the case after we're done today. If that's the case, if that's how you feel, I want you to know that you're not alone. An interesting thing we find in the Bible is did you know that some of the most influential people in getting the gospel that God used in getting the gospel to go from the time of Jesus into that next time frame were cowardly fishermen one time. They were scared. They were cowards. They did not want to fish. They felt like fishermen on the Bering Sea. But that changed. And the cool thing is God gave us this this account. We call it the book of Acts. Not Acts like A-X, but Acts as in the actions of the apostles or the the, the history of the early church. And it shows us how these fishermen went from cowards to being bold people that in fact, as far as we know, 10 of the 12 chose death rather than to stop talking about Jesus. And what I'd like to do right now is to look at a, a little portion of Acts Acts chapter four. I want to give you a little context around this. Um, By this time, as when I read it, by this time in history, these fishermen had already gone from cowards to bold fishermen. And in fact, what they um, had just—Peter and John had just been in prison because they would not stop talking about Jesus. In fact, Peter wrote or uh, spoke to these Jewish leaders. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They had this confidence. You are not going to stop us. Before letting Peter and John release them, letting them go from prison, the Jewish leaders um, had a few more threats they wanted to give to him, to them. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 4. After these threats were given. Verse 23. You can follow along here or otherwise in your bulletins. On their release from prison, Peter and John went back to their own people, um, to the other Christians, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they, those other Christians, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And and this prayer is what we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at. Here it is Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea. And everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And then they quoted a psalm written by David. It's Psalm 2 in our Bibles. And they, they say these words Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. In, in the Hebrew, anointed one is Messiah. As they quote this section that prophesies that the people of the earth are going to try to stand up against God and his Messiah. That it, This promise that the people of the earth are going to stand up against God and his, in the Greek, anointed one, Christ. This is a prophecy that the world is going to stand up against Jesus. Now, from the very beginning of this prayer, in the title that they give God, we see these people, these disciples' confidence. They say, Sovereign Lord. You know what sovereign means? It means in charge of everything. Sovereign means in charge of all things. Sovereign means, you know, large and in charge, he's the guy, sovereign Lord. And then they recount, they say sovereign Lord, then they recount, here are proof that you're sovereign. One is that you created everything we see. That's proof of sovereignty. But then they get into this passage from Psalms. Why do they go from creation to Psalm 2 in regard to speaking of God's sovereignty? Remember the disciples, the time of Jesus, when he was on earth? Remember how a lot of times they were confused about what was going on? We always get kind of confused with the disciples, but I think in some ways they're not so different than us. There are certain things we understand about God, certain things we don't. There were times in the Bible where it was written about the disciples. They did not understand why Jesus had to die before his death and resurrection, or they did not understand what he meant when it said that he was going to be leaving them, right? You know these, remember these things? Well, listen to verses 27 and 28. They just quoted how it was prophesied that the nations would stand up against the anointed one. Verse 27. Indeed, and that kind of connects it back to what they just quoted. It's prophesied that people are going to stand up against the Lord. Indeed, this happened. And then they say, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your, they're still praying, holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, the Christ. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. This is an amazing section because we see right into the hearts of the disciples. At some point between Jesus' death, Good Friday, his arrest, his crucifixion, and this day, these fearful lock the doors because they're afraid, deny Jesus three times fishermen, went from being fearful to getting it. What happened is the Holy Spirit helped them connect dots. And they began to see this. They began to see that what had been happening on Good Friday, while it made them run away in fear, actually was not the world spinning out of God's control. What was it? They, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, the people of Israel, did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. These events... Uh Aha! These events were God being sovereign. Jesus' death was the greatest proof of God being absolutely in control, that they could trust him. Because here's the thing, God's son, our Savior, as hard as it was for the disciples to watch and for Jesus to do, he had to die. It was the only way that sinful people like you and me might be forgiven. And eventually the disciples began to understand this and to understand that the, the day, Good Friday, it was all a part about God's plan. And Easter Sunday, you see, Jesus had to rise again or your salvation would not have been won. He had to rise in victory so we could someday through faith. And the disciples at a certain point, (laughs) so that's what you meant about destroying the temple and rebuilding it in three days. And some point between Good Friday and this day that they prayed, it's not recorded for us, but at some point they began to understand that this world and the events of this world are not spiraling out of God's control, but he is sovereign. He is in charge of all things. And our salvation is a great, great proof of that. Now, I know I preach for at least, you know, 15 minutes or so, you know, maybe a little longer. And it can be easy to drift a little bit. We all do that. But I'm stopping right now to reel you back in. Fishing reference. Because I don't want you to miss this application of what we just talked about. God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. We live in a culture where fear, worry, and stress are so so prevalent. Fear, anxiety, worry, stress. I was listening to the radio the other day and it said that, you know, the medical field is now seeing how many of our sicknesses, how many of our diseases are stress and worry and anxiety related. We're filled with worried people. Every one of us. Some are more apt to it than others, but we all have worry. We all fight against it. The thing that I need you to understand, though, is that we can't quickly sort of push worry aside and to just think, all right, that's just the way I am. That might be the way we are, but we can't ever just excuse it that way. Because the thing is, is that when we, are, when we are worrying, when we are up late worrying, what are we not doing? We're not trusting. And while we can't turn it off altogether sometimes, we need to realize that worry at its root is sin. That worry at its root is not trusting that God is sovereign and that God has all things in his control and is in charge of everything. Every single one of us needs to hear this because we all worry and are anxious, but we cannot excuse it. We need to realize what it is. There was a forgetfulness that God is sovereign at the time of the disciples, but he was sovereign. And here's the good news. He's still sovereign today. And some of you need to hear this. I know I do sometimes. Do you believe God is sovereign? I'm seeing your hearts. They're going like this. If God is still sovereign, then what in all the world do you need to worry about? If God is still in charge of all things, then what in the world do we need to be anxious about? If God, if Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God right now in control of all things, in victory, then what in all the world do we need to fear? It's like, God's this big life jacket that puts his arms around us, and that we need to hear that God is sovereign and in charge of all things. Back to the disciples for a moment. At some point, they began to realize that God was in charge the whole time, that Jesus' death was according to his plan. And you know the kind of weird thing? I'm guessing they began to look back at Good Friday and Monday, Thursday and think, you know what? Some of the things we were praying for, whew, it was in direct conflict with what God's plan was. <laughs> because if I was one of the disciples, I would have been praying, Lord, please release Jesus. He can't go. Please let him live. Don't let him be crucified. And for a time... Their desires were in direct conflict, although they didn't know it, with God's plan. And now they look back and they see, whew, God was in control the whole time. And listen to what they pray to the sovereign God. Here's another point you don't want to miss. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Now, notice what they didn't pray, at least not here. They didn't pray, Lord, take away my enemies. And in part, I think that's because they're like, well, in the past, you used our enemies for your plan, so I'm not going to pray that. He didn't pray, Lord, take away my difficulties and persecutions. God had used difficulties and persecutions in the past, so they didn't pray that. Instead, they used this neutral word. Consider. Lord, consider these threats. They're on my heart. They're on my mind. I want you to know that. You, he knew it already but I'm going to tell you that. Consider their threats, and then what? Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So the disciples had learned something. God's son. And God's plans are always better than our plans. And so in their prayer, they didn't assume they knew what God should do. Instead, they asked God to be God and asked for boldness to endure whatever circumstances God felt was best for them. Verse 31 says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. That's kind of like God telling them, I'm here, (laughs) I was listening. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. There's something powerful God wants you to know about your fishing lives, about your prayer lives, about your entire lives. See, so often our prayer lives are like this, when we talk to God in the middle of fearful situations. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. we We always start with that, right? And then, give me, give me, protect me, protect me, help me, help me, we've talked about this before, save me, save me. And again, don't misunderstand me. Those are good prayers. Pray them. We can bring anything to the Lord in prayer. But more what I want to talk about and to have you just understand is the attitude behind those prayers. Because a lot of times, maybe not all the time, but a lot of times when we're saying give me, protect me, save me, it's with the attitude of, Lord, um, just in case you didn't know what I needed, here, here let me tell you, here's what I need. And just in case, <laughs> um, sovereign God, um, that, you know, I may know better about this situation than you do, um, let me give you some knowledge here of what would be good for me in this situation. So there's this attitude sometimes when we ask for things that is as if we need to let God in on what he should be doing. Here's a better way to pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Here's what's on my heart. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what's on my mind. Here's what I'm feeling. Sovereign God, consider those things because they're on my heart. But what I pray for is that you would give me boldness to get through whatever circumstances you feel are right for me because you are sovereign. Now, that's a little different, isn't it? You know you already pray that every week if you go to church. We blow by it so fast. But you've asked God that before. Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So back to fishing as we close. What if I don't have the right words? What if people look at me like I'm weird or over the top or fanatical? What if I can't answer the questions? I guess those are questions to have or concerns. I mean, how many of those really come up? I think sometimes we put barriers in our way that are not actually real ones. But as Jesus has called us to be fishermen, the thing I want you to take home today to bring boldness not just to your fishing lives but to your entire lives as you struggle with fear and worry is to remember that God... Is sovereign. And that he's in control. And then instead of praying, Lord, take all the obstacles out of my life, we say, Consider the obstacles, but give me boldness to endure what you see is best. And then we get out of the shore and into the boat. And we start fishing, trusting. What in the world do we have to fear? Amen. Please stand.